Nationals dysfunction and a little later an exclusive interview with Redskins running back Chris Thompson on this edition of the DMV Sports Roundtable with Dimitri and Jamal and Chris Chase of USA Today Sports Media Group on Skype with us. Guys, the Nationals scored crazy runs against the Mets. This week we learned Bryce Harper's not going anywhere. Right, for now anyway. Uh, but then, uh, Jamal, you've been observing some other things that are not it's, so yeah, to me, encouraging. It's, it's not, I mean, they... I think that's the the most runs scored since I can't remember who did it that scored thirty uh, at one point. So I mean, you you put up historical numbers on, albeit the Mets, but it doesn't matter who it is because you need these wins if you're going to try to uh, track down the Braves and and the Phillies. I think the most curious thing is off the field, and and Chris, let me know if you've you know heard any of these things with. Kinsler, the rumblings were he was traded not necessarily for his play or or lack of production, that he was kind of the one, the leak that is letting people know that there's dysfunction, there's infighting in the locker room. Yeah, uh, Kinsler talked to uh, Jeff Passan of Yahoo after these reports came out that he was traded because he was the source of a leak that had appeared, uh, I think in various places, Yahoo had it, uh, Washington Post had it, and it talked of clubhouse dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So Kinsler was sent out of town and the report then by the Washington Post was they had heard whispers that he was sent out of town because they suspected he was the leak. At the original time it wasn't sourced. Right. Uh, it was it wasn't, you know, even put up for attribution or anything. It was just kind of this rumor that was oddly put out there by the post. And and the issue is uh, Kinsler denies it and it's one of these things where even if Kinsler was uh, a guy who had discord in the locker room and and was leaking shouldn't that be taken care of in-house and i think that's exactly. the biggest problem here is davy martinez rookie manager he played 1500 games in the majors he's been on a bench for a decade this is his first time leading a team and this should have been taken care of in-house. This should ne- never should have reached the the level it did. And then you have Sean Kelly the other right. night who comes in in a 25-to-1 game, doesn't want to be in, and instead of getting three guys out to show how mad he was, he glares at his uh, manager, he gives up a three-run homer, he slams his gloves, and then he's sent down the next day. So there's a lot going on in Washington, and a lot of it can be pinned to the clubhouse. And they say the players are on Davey Martinez's side, which is a good thing. This is not like Matt Williams was a couple of years ago right. where the players couldn't stand him, allegedly. Uh, the players have Martinez's back, but he doesn't seem to have much of a backbone himself, and that's mm. going to be an issue. I think, and I'm talking to Noah Frank, who's a friend of the show and has been on before, um, he was telling me something a little bit different because I stopped watching that game at 19 to nothing. I went to sleep. I didn't stay around for the 25. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was sufficient enough ass whipping that I could go to bed but he was saying that it was a situation with Kelly that the home plate umpire was trying to get him to speed up and the second base umpire was telling him to slow it down or he'll call a balk on him and after that subsequently he gives up the three run homer then slams the glove now I don't know you know that's what he told me. I don't I don't have anything to, you know, dispute or stamp that. But if that's the case and, and you brought up in-house and that was my biggest thing. When if you have Rizzo and Rizzo was very adamant in his statements that it was selfish, that it was, uh, you know, uh, distracting to the team. And and if, if you're not with us, you're in the way. And he was in the way. 
All that takes is for Davey and Rizzo just to pull him in the office. And if that was what happened, then let him explain that or try to work it out in-house. But instead, you're trying to make a run and catch not one but two teams and hopefully try to at least catch one for a wild card spot if you're not going to be able to be in position to win the division. But you've let go now of two relievers in a bullpen that was, you know, inconsistent to say the least at times. You let go two relievers when you're trying to make a playoff run for things that could have been, like you said, taken care of in-house. And it's, it seems kind of curious to me. Yes, they're winning games. They put up 25 runs. You know, that that's all well and good. But how long is that going to sustain if the optics of your front office and your locker room look in disarray? Well, it's funny that this is what people are talking about now, given that uh, just two days ago there was major discussions, that there was major rumors People didn't know whether this team would look would look the same right. after July 31st because there were rumors that Bryce Harper was on the trading block or Gio Gonzalez could have been. Daniel Murphy uh, it was a possibility also of getting traded. So they, they uh, the learners reportedly, apparently there were some deals on the table. It's been reported and apparently ownership kind of pulled back on them. Mm-hmm. Who knows whether Rizzo would have pulled the trigger on, let's say, sending Bryce somewhere else. But it's funny that we're talking about dysfunction today when, you know, what we saw was the the Nats kind of draw a line in the sand and say, we're in this for this year. Right. Exactly. We're going we're gonna to go for the next two months and we're going to make a run. And, you know, it's been it's been 105 games or whatever it is at this point. And I, I think, you know, a lot about your team. And there's yes, this team should be in first place. And yes, the run differential is very high, which suggests that they're not doing as well as they should. Their record in one-run games, for instance, which is part of this, you know, uh, baseball statisticians call it a lot of luck in these one-run games. And sometimes you'll have a team that wins 15, uh, you know, goes 20 and 5 in one-run games and they're making the playoffs. Another team goes 5 and 20 and they're not. Uh, and it's one team is clearly, you know, the team that didn't is clearly better, but you're just getting kind of that baseball luck where those one run games are kind of breaking to you. And the thing about baseball is it's 162 games. Everything's supposed to level out after six months of play. But the Nats right now are not a good baseball team. And despite the fact that their roster is great, despite the fact that they should be hitting better than anyone in the league, despite the fact that they're pitching, they have a two-time defending Cy Young Award winner, a bullpen that's pretty good, and a a staff that has been good in the past but is not playing well this year. They're just not a good baseball team. So I don't know if it was the right decision not to get something for Bryce Harper, who everyone says is is probably has one foot out the door and will be gone after the season. Same thing for Daniel Murphy, who will not be staying in Washington. But you do have to respect the fact that the Nats are now all in. And uh, clubhouse dysfunction aside, I, I think that story's done. Sean Kelly shouldn't have been on the team anyway. He should have been in Syracuse anyway because he's been terrible this year. Right. And Kinsler, it's interesting. They could have used his arm particularly because uh, Madsen is not pitching as well this year as he did last mm-hmm. year. But, uh, you know, look, Kinsler's not going to be the difference between making the playoffs and no, not. Not at all. In a weird way, Chris, are you sort of spinning this into a positive? I mean, not that what happened was positive, but they're on the right track now. Yeah, I mean, going back to the the uh, Dave Martinez stuff where Mike Rizzo had to bail him out, that's bad news. That is not a good thing. It shows that uh, the team doesn't have faith in the manager and that the players don't have faith in their manager to, to kind of right the ship. But 
this is not football where a coaching staff is, you know, is the front line for the team. If without a coaching staff, the, the players in football don't go out and they don't run, run the right plays. They don't practice the right way. They don't have this, the right formations and the right coverages. At least in baseball, Martinez is able to just throw a lineup out there. And it's not really on him whether Bryce Harper starts hitting or whether Gio Gonzalez can start hitting the plate. Uh, it's kind of out of his hand. So this is something that is it's not necessarily correctable in the moment, but it's something that doesn't need to be a major deal to the Nationals. You can have a manager. The backbone isn't there. You can have a manager who has to have his GM bail him out of situations, and that's okay. That doesn't preclude the Nationals from making a run, and that's why I think there is some room for optimism. And look, if Harper gets going, which he's been good the past two games, Daniel Murphy is looking like himself again. Trey Turner is, you know, finally starting to steal bases again after his debacle a couple, you know, last week when he didn't run a playout. So I think there is a good chance that, you know, the Nats can can stay in it. I think they will make a run at first place. Whether they get there or not, we'll see. They just have to do well in the games versus the two teams that are above them, the Phillies and the Braves, and they have to do well in the against the two teams that are below them, the Mets and the Marlins, which should be free wins, basically. Well, I, I know where the optimism is, and, and looking at it, now I see why they stood pat, because you're now for the first time starting to get your full complement of players back. You've had they've been littered with injuries all across, you know, with starters with Murphy and Eaton and Zimmerman, waiters at one point, uh Robles, who was just I believe he was activated the other day. Rendon was out uh for a couple a couple days, uh having a brand new baby. Congratulations to him. So I think it what they looked at is we've gotten to this point five and a half games out you know at the deadline but i'm seeing my whole roster become healthy yes it's going to take zim a little time well he hit a home run so he's they look fine but it might take them some time to kind of get their sea legs back you don't want that in the second half of the season but if that's what you have that's what you have and i think maybe their mindset was instead of going out and making a move having my starters back healthy is just as good, maybe better than, you know, uh, trading away an asset or a, a prospect for someone that might be a short term, uh, a short term answer. The one thing I did not uh, like, because Atlanta made three moves and they got better. The one that really hurt the most, and this is somewhere with the catcher that they may needed to may have needed to uh, to upgrade. They were uh, rumors of them trying to wanting to trade for Real Muto uh, from the Marlins. Would that would have involved Robles, and I really would hate for them to part ways with him at this point. But Philly went out and got Wilson Ramos, who is beloved here, still loved in this city, loved by this fan base. Was an All Star this past season. Got a great ovation when he came out. Uh, for the All-Star game here. And they gave up, Philly gave up maybe not even, maybe a mid-tier, not even one of their best prospects for an All-Star catcher at this point. And why not make that move if it's not going to cost you that much and you're bringing in a guy that knows your team, knows your system, is beloved, and we know what he can do. But he goes to the team that you're in, you're trying to catch. That That kind of... As a fan, that kind of pissed me off to see them 
not do that because it didn't cost much. But he's also hurt. I mean, and, yeah, and, that's, okay. and that's the reason why they didn't do anything. I, I think he's he hasn't played since mid-July, oh. uh, since before the All-Star break. He has a hamstring injury, and he has not been a healthy player for the Nats uh, or the or the Rays since he's left town. And uh, so I think to, to, put, to, to put your eggs in the Ramos basket, yeah. I think, was, was risky. They just have to plot on any right yeah, trading for real muto was was a, a non-starter was you can't get rid of robles no, robles no. is uh robles is the future robles is the guy who's going to replace bryce harper so obviously he's a guy that you can't trade and that's the thing with me is that whether i mean it's it's nice to, to keep bryce and all of that but look at the team as you have a construct of course you're going to try to have to bring back rendon but then you have such a young nucleus. Soto is going to be a star. You have Robles. You have Michael A. Taylor. You have Trey Turner. You have all these young players. And then you, along with Rendon, if you can surround them with some, you know, decent vets like they've been able to do, then you can win that way. And your your window is does not close based on whether Bryce Harper is here or not. You can take that 300 mil or whatever 400 that he wants and you surround your young nucleus with pieces around them and then grow with them because I think you can win with that young uh, core players. Well, and that's why the not trading for Bryce was that doesn't necessarily represent the Nats being dedicated to winning this year and making a go at it because any real trade they would have made, this team still would have been – there is the window, like you said. Yeah. This team's not going anywhere. No. Uh, you know, you, when you have Scherzer and you have Strasburg, if Strasburg mm-hmm. can can stay healthy, you have a one-two punch that's better than any in baseball. You have tons of young talent. You have tons of young talent in the minors coming up. You have a 19-year-old who's doing things that 19-year-olds in baseball have not done in history. Uh, yeah, if you do sign Rendon, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I think that's going to be the interesting question about next year is whether Rendon ends up staying. He's a free agent after next season. Okay. He's going to be commanding. A, a nine-digit contract, so that'll be interesting. But if they had traded Bryce, it wouldn't have been a, uh, a white flag on the season. It, it wouldn't have been giving up, and and I that's see. why I think they probably should have done it because they could have gotten some long-term talent, some young guys. I know teams weren't necessarily ready to part with their best talent just to get mm-hmm. a three-month, a two-month rental of Bryce Harper, but they could have gotten something. And now, as it is, if and when he leaves at you the end of uh, at the start of November, they're going to get a low first round draft pick if that i agree with you offers were on the table they were probably very underwhelming um or that the nets asking price was just you know might have been just ridiculously high which is you know you you would expect that you know they want something you know in return and if teams like you said are not willing to part with you know young prospects and and potential stars down the line and in the future for a three month rental then you know it just it just wasn't going to be but I'm pretty sure that the Nets is going to say you know what you got to give us something maybe you're not a king's ransom but I'm pretty sure the asking price was you know might have been just too rich for some people all these reports about who was on the block whether the trades were there whether there were prospects up for grabs whether they had anything you know kind of jotted down before that needed approval from the ownership we don't know and the reports that you see in places are put there for reasons people leak them strategically uh, the nats are very very well known for doing this mike rizzo in particular he feeds reporters with what he wants out there and obviously he did that on the morning of the trade deadline or the night before whenever it was saying that mm-hmm. bryce wasn't going anywhere and 
that was true. I believe that that they had no plans for Bryce to go anywhere. But there's always there's always a price. If somebody had come in with it. Yeah crazy offer i think they could have gotten him out if ownership was going to do it but you know there's two months left this is far from unprecedented for a team to to come back from i mean this is nothing a, a five game deficit it isn't much at all no. uh, to a team that isn't very good and i think that's all i think that's part of it also it's not just that the Nats are confident in their own abilities. I also think that they think that the Phillies and the Braves They'll fall off are, are coming back to the pack and yeah. that they can be beat. If they were five games behind the Red Sox or something, then I think it might be a yeah, different story. Yeah, or the story. Yankees or something like that. But no, the, these two teams, I mean, take nothing away from them. They've had phenomenal seasons, but uh, they're pretty young. Uh, Phillies have a brand new uh, skipper. And they just really have not been in this situation in, in, in quite some time. So this is the situation where the Nats getting their roster back healthy. And they've been in this situation far more often recently than these two organizations. And they feel like they can pretty much walk them down. At some point, like you said, they're going to come down to earth. And, you know, they've been playing with house money for the entire season. But sometimes when people, when teams do that, and they kind of, you know, they overachieve and they're playing over their heads, the teams that have been there before, when they start to get their mojo going and get a rhythm and get back healthy like the Nats are appearing to do now and have, you know, back-to-back series with the Mets and the Reds, which, which should be series that you can, should win both, if not sweep one or, or both, and they feel like they're in a pretty good position to walk these two teams down. And at some point, one of them is, is, is going to have a misstep and they're going to slide right past them. Yeah, it's just a matter of beating the teams you have to beat. And mm-hmm. then it, when it comes to the series against the Braves and the Phillies, they have to win more than they lose. Yeah. They can't split. They certainly can't lose series. They no. have to make up ground in every series they play. And if they can do that, then they will be there at the end of September. Yeah, if they don't, and if they have a, a stretch in the next, let's say, three weeks where they go, let's say, nine and nine, and you know, the Phillies have maybe gotten a game or two on them, then I wouldn't be surprised to see the Nats maybe make some trades and maybe start to sell off because the trade deadline is the non-waiver deadline. You can sneak some guys through waivers in August. And if the Nats aren't there in two or three weeks, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to sneak a guy through waivers to get a trade going. It's been known to happen before. Yeah, you don't. They don't have to go out here and try to sweep everybody. But you do have to be of the mindset that you pretty much have to win almost every series for the you know, for the duration, if you can, that's always the goal. But now having to make up ground on two teams, you know, it's more important now than ever. They can't have lapses where they're put series together and then they'll lose two or three series. And you can't do that. You, They have to be the most consistent they've ever been. And that's one thing they have not been so far this year is consistent. And if it's going to kick in, it's got to kick in now. Yeah. All right, Chris, thanks, man. Chris, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Take it it. easy. Talk to you all soon. All right. We're trading in one Chris for another. Chris Cheon joins us to talk Skins training camp. But first, let's hear from running back Chris Thompson, yet another Chris. He sits down with our George Wallace, and any devoted Skins fan knows Thompson is coming back from a serious injury. We have high hopes for him this year. First of all, last year, is that one of the toughest things you've ever had to go through as far as season ending and having to sit back and watch your team knowing you could not help them? By far. This was uh, 
one of the toughest injuries I think I've had as far as rehab and recovery goes. And uh, but it's been going good, and, and just to uh, have to sit back and, and watch my guys play, you know, while I'm stuck in the house, just just sucks. And um, you know, I think we were we were on to something. We were on to something big uh, last season, and. All the injuries that we had, guys going down, um, you know, we didn't finish the season how we wanted to. But, um, you know, for me, it was a good run. And, you know, I, I I wanted to be able to finish, you know, with Kirk and, you know, not knowing what was going to happen and, and things like that. So, I mean, I, I made the, the most of those uh, 10 games I was able to get with them. Does that make it even that tougher? Because all you guys have said, one of the most injured teams in the league last year knowing that when you were healthy you competed with anybody in the league does it make it that much tougher and that much hungrier to get back yeah it makes it makes guys hungry for sure but it also shows them um what we're capable of you know when we're healthy so the guys have really been uh focusing on doing all the things right you know right now and just focusing on staying healthy because you know, we believe when we're healthy, we wanted to, we're one of the better teams in this league. How do you um, kind of gauge the excitement, anxious to get back, but knowing also that it is a long process and it is a long season and you don't want to do too much too early? It's tough just, just being able to uh, control my emotions, I guess, for now. I've, I've really had to just work on being patient, even in practices, just wanting to I'm, I'm wanting to be out there every single play, but I know, you know, I'm healed, but I have to take it slow uh, coming back in. And, you know, even even this season, I'll be, you know, I won't really hit a year of recovery until like middle of the season um, or a year out of out of surgery in the middle of the season. So. Uh, building up to that, you know, I got to be smart throughout the week to be able to be at my tip top on Sundays. When you hear Jay Gruden and players, your teammates, say last year when you went down, this was basically our offensive MVP. When you hear coaches and teammates talk about you like that, I mean, I just can't imagine. What's that What's that feeling? Uh, honestly, it's one of the best feelings in the world, to be, um, be completely honest. And just to see every one of my teammates uh, when I got on that cart come shake my hand, you know, let me know that, let me know that they're praying for me. It, it was huge and, and it meant everything to me. And, you know, it, we got back and our first pad at practice, all the coaches had, all the defensive coaches had a meeting and was like, CT is practicing today. Y'all do not touch him, leave him alone, <laughs> let him run, you know, be smart. And, it's things like that that like the coaches the coaches respect me that much the players do as well like it it gives me added motivation but makes me feel good that you know my guys really my teammates really you know have that much respect and looked up up, up to me like that as far as this year's team and I'm not you know getting the comparisons because that's all been talked about all camp about the quarterback situation but with Alex back there and running this offense learning this offense having a veteran like that how, how big is that to have? Not only Kirk, who, Kirk, who'd been in the system for a while, but have a veteran like Alex come in and take over this offense. It's big. I mean, I know uh, for Coach Gruden, he wanted to have a guy that could, uh, you know, if if Kirk ended up leaving and he did, uh, a guy to come in and be able to grasp the offense pretty well and, and be a really, really good quarterback right off the bat. And Alex has been a guy that's proved himself over the last 
I don't know, 12 or 13, 14 years he's been playing. So um, as he's getting older, he seems to be getting better because he had the best uh, season of his uh, career last year from from my understanding of things. So coming into this offense, it fits him really well, and, and we've been able to uh, uh, do some things that works to his, strength as a, his strengths as well. So um, we're excited about him. And how does he kind of, you know, he's the new guy coming in. You guys, this offense, is, you guys are veteran guys mm-hmm. in this offense. He's a new guy, but he's been around the league. How's he been, you know, incorporating himself with you guys, but not coming in and saying, look, I'm the quarterback. I'm taking over this thing. I know you guys have been here so long. He's been, he's been perfect. Um, he fit in well with all the guys. Um, you know, his, his attitude, his demeanor, everything about him, he just, he, he just fit, fits right in. It's almost like he's been here with us forever he talks to everybody he has a good relationship with everybody and the guys love him so it's 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 good for our team that um you know all the guys uh have been able to come in and um just have a great relationship with him and he 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 loves it here and we could tell how about your room specifically? A lot of competition. I know you said all the guys you got seven of them you know I know you said the other day you want to keep everybody mm-hmm. but how does the the competition drive you guys every day it makes everybody better each day I can imagine it definitely makes us all better and I, I look at guys uh, like Byron and, and Capri Bibbs and watch their route running a lot and the way that they run the ball and things like that and I'm able to get some things from them that I can maybe add to my game and and that's the type of things when you get uh, I think we have a great group of running backs so when you get a great group of running backs like that everybody has different skill sets and you can be able to look at them and try to add those things to your game and it's it's going to be some hard decisions to make I said to I told Rob Kelly today I was like man you I think our running this six guys that we have here not right now at this moment could compete with anybody else in the league so I'm excited about it and and we're just continuing to get better I know you said personally you're not going to be fully obviously a year out from surgery in November but what's your next step your goal for week one I'm playing okay I'm playing that's the whole being a hundred percent is more of a feel you know when guys um most guys that have a knee any kind of lower body injuries you know, once you're a year out, that's when you really stop thinking about it and you really start to feel good. I'm, Everything's completely healed. Right. I'm just saying at that point, I know it'll be like it's, it's at a point where mentally I'll almost forget that I even had surgery. So. Is that the biggest thing? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of times once guys get over that hump, you really start to just, just play out of your mind. But... Um, any game that they want me to play in, I'm playing it. So uh, there is no doubt about me playing in week one. Lastly, what's the ceiling for this team? How good can you guys be? Do you allow yourself to take a step back and look at it? I look at it all the time, and I don't want to throw it out there, but I think – but I'm going to throw it out there. I think we're capable of being the best, and I think this is, as far as talent-wise, this is one of the best groups I've – you know, I've been around. I look at the group we had when we signed Deshaun that first year. We ended up uh, getting Vernon later on. I think that following year or whatever, and that group had a bunch of talent. But I think this group is maybe even better than that one. So it's just uh, 
we just got to find a way to put it together. And if we can do that and do it on a consistent basis, uh, we can compete. We can be at the top of this league. Redskins running back Chris Thompson with our George Wallace at training camp in Richmond. I was just seeing that Josh Doxson, after fears that he might be hurt badly, is going to be all right from every report. Yeah, when when Doxson goes down, you know, everyone holds their breath because he, this is a kid who is wildly talented and I think can be a touchdown machine, which is why I have picked him up in certain uh late round fantasy drafts <laughs> because he had what six or seven touchdowns last year. Six, yep. And I've I think led the team in red zone right, targets. Right, right. And and he goes up. I don't know if you've seen any of the clips from last week, but he went up and, and kind of just grabbed it off the top of somebody's helmet. He goes and gets it. So but when he goes down, you know, people kind of panic because he has you know, had a very long history here in his brief career of having injuries. So when anybody like that goes down, you know, it's you kind of get, you know, you're scared a little bit. Like that's how it used to be with Bradley Beal. Every time he hit the floor, you know, he broke his wrist or something, you know. So the same thing with Doxon. But uh, I see reports that he should be back maybe Saturday or Sunday. They're going to be very cautious with these people. I know you had a concern about, uh, Deron Payne and you know the boot on his foot. Yeah, but I think he got rolled up on or stepped on. Yeah, and I think they're just, they're being very very cautious, especially with these young players. Well, I thought it was an interesting take from Jonathan Allen that he's been bamanized as oh, yeah. uh, you do not get hurt <laughs> at Alabama. Right. You play through pain because if not, there are guys that will step right up and take your position because they and have it's a true. plethora of talent there. One thing about Josh Doxson, though, going back to that real quick, that. I was uh, digging up some next-gen stats that they have, and he actually ranked – he had a 44% catch rate last year. That was Mm. seventh among qualified receivers, seventh worst. Uh. So not only that, he had the fifth worst – uh, average separation yards, 2.2. So just things that I'm looking at there that make me a little bit discouraged. And then there is the fact that he has not gotten a 600-yard receiving season yet in his first two years. And the players that are were first-round picks that fall into that category include Brashad Perryman, Charles Rogers, Darius hayward Bay, and Laquan Treadwell. I think we can all call them busts. I'm not saying Josh Jackson's a bust. Let's put an asterisk by that because that is the Kirk Cousins effect. Yeah. Who him and Gruden were very skittish and and very, you know, hesitant in going his way. If Doxon dropped the ball, Kirk would not go back his way. Kirk stayed very with Crowder and Reed when he was out there. If not Reed, it would be Crowder and Vernon Davis. And he stayed very to his his safety blankets. Mm -hmm. He did not, he was almost forced, it seems, at some point by Gruden to be like, man, just Please, you got to get this guy involved mm-hmm. because he would seem content not to. And then early on, I would put that on Jay as well because you would see Doxon for a couple of plays and then he would disappear. Yeah. I think very early in the season, I mean, he played less than 12 snaps or something like that for an entire game. You can't put up any numbers if A, your coach does not keep you in the game consistently and B, your quarterback doesn't trust you and will not go your way. You saw towards the middle, going towards the end of the season, the game he had in New Orleans. He had a pretty big game. 
Yeah, and I know that he had that big game against Seattle Seahawks when yeah. they won. So, and they yeah, helped so, me win that money line Redskins bet. So I think now. I know he's got the potential. Well, he, he does. And you're coming into a situation, this is perfect for him. And it's tailor made that Alex Smith is here because we've said it many times before. He has a clean slate with all. He does not know any except for Vernon Davis. And that was when they were both young men. And that was a long ass time ago. Yep. So he has no favorites. He's got he's he's getting rapport with all of his receivers, running backs and tight ends, everyone. So everyone's getting a fair shake from Doxon to uh, Mo Harris to Robert Davis. Whoever is out there, Alex is trying to find a rhythm with everyone, whether you're the, the, the number one wide receiver, which we don't have really, or you're fifth or sixth on the depth chart. He's trying to get a rapport with everybody. It's so right. I think that's going to benefit Doxon. I don't think uh, you necessarily need like a true, true, true number one receiver. I know that there can be arguments made for both sides, but six yeah. out of the last seven Super Bowl champions had wide receiver differences in yardage not exceeding 170. So what well, I the mean that, that is every year. wide receiver one, wide receiver two. You need right. you need two. You need a wide receiver one, you need a wide receiver two. Not just the standout one, and yeah. I think it's, it's they have something the to be said about having a good core of receivers yeah. instead of just that one guy. We've seen A.J. Green is a great receiver, but they have been trying for many years now to find someone to go alongside him. It, John was, Ross. it was Ross last year. And it'll be Ross he, this year. But yeah, but he got injured, so they're still trying to, but there have been many, you know, Brandon LaFell, Muhammad Sanu, uh, Henry, who passed away, unfortunately. So they've been trying to compliment. And then you look at the Patriots, who have a different receiver core every year. Now they have Eric Decker. And Matthews Decker. is gone. And as soon as he's gone, they bring in Eric Decker. So you just Which I keep, love that they, move. They keep reshuffling the deck. So it, it's not an exact science to having number one wide receiver. Now, in this case, I like our core better. But I look at Dak Prescott said the same thing in Dallas. I don't love their receiving core like I love ours. I see a lot of guys that you have to manufacture touches. Uh, Tavon Austin, he's been a gadget guy. If, if, yeah, if, if Sean not... McVay can't find something for you to do, yeah. You got he got he have to manufacture things for him. The one they got from Jacksonville. Oh, Alan Hearns. Yeah. Alan Hearns. Hearns has had good seasons. Fantasy players, we know that he's able to do that. Mm-hmm. But he also did that some by himself when Robinson was hurt, but mostly alongside Alan Robinson, who was the de facto number one wide receiver. You don't know what he's going to do. Terrence Williams has had time after time, chance after chance to show that he can be at least the number two wide receiver next to Dez when he was there. He couldn't do it. Cole Beasley, a slot receiver, you have to manufacture and find ways to get him the ball. So in that situation, you might need a number one wide receiver because your entire core is like it's you have to manage this gadget guys all over the place. Yeah. Jamal, let's talk about hopefully present and future glory with the Redskins. Let's move to a football great, but as a Skins fan, I was never a big fan of his. Right. Terrell Owens, he's not going to be in uh, Canton, Ohio this weekend. He's skipping the Hall of Fame induction party. He's going to throw his own thing in Tennessee. A lot uh-huh. of his peers are saying, you know, reconsider that. That's not a. That's well, not it's, cool. It's unprecedented. And I think if it was anybody else, 
it may be looked at a little bit differently by peers or if the reasoning was a little different, medical, something with a family, anything of, of that nature. Something then, serious. Yeah, you know, you know that people, Michael Irvin and, and, and guys that were uh, his teammates would be able to understand and also fellow, uh, fellow Hall of Famers. But again, this just seems like T.O. taking the opportunity, even in his 40s, going into the you know Football Hall of Fame, which is the biggest honor you can get as a football player. We all know this. To get your bust and get your jacket and all of the, the, the ceremonies you go through, and it's wonderful. He takes this chance to make it about himself. And there's nothing wrong with being different. But when it comes to people like T.O., Dennis Rodman, people that want to be different, but it seems like they're being different for their own reasons, for uh, maybe selfish motives, you know, to kind of take the spotlight off. Once again, it's Terrell Owens saying, hey, look at me over here. The show's here, not in Canton. Come look at me. And I'm I'm curious to see if any media outlets, if somebody is, is, is filming this. Right. You know, because instead of him being enshrined with, you know, Ray Lewis, Randy Moss, and all these great guys that are going in, it's T.O. like, eh, no, I want to do my own thing. And it, it shows that selfishness that everyone talked about when he was a player. Great player, terrible teammate. And no growing up to be seen here. You're still doing the same foolish stuff, you know, <laughs> in, in, in your 40s that you were doing in your 20s, then yeah, I, I guess the nice way to put that is lack of maturity or lack of growth. Development, no lack, development. Yeah, lack of personal development, whatever you want to call it, you know, to be nice, but you're just the same jackass you were then. You're just older. That's all. You know, and I thought I was looking forward to this because I was thinking there are two two takeaways, two things that I'm disappointed about now that I was looking forward to. I thought with him, Randy Moss and Ray Lewis, as those are probably going to be the most, you know, entertaining and great speeches. He's not going to be there. OK, that's one thing. Now, recently, well, not recently, within the past year. My stance on on Ray Lewis, not the player, but Ray Lewis, the person has changed because, you know, his whole stance against Kaepernick and all this other stuff. And I really I I just don't care to hear anything that got to come out of Ray Lewis's mouth anymore. I really could could give a damn, you know, and I was really looking forward to that even before it was announced when he first retired. It's like, man, I can't wait until till Ray goes. That's going to be one of the greatest speeches in history. But now he's done put his foot in his mouth with his cabinet. I just don't give a damn what he's got to say anymore. And then that leaves Randy Moss. And I will be watching Randy Moss. But those three on the same ballot should have been, you know, the last three to close out the night because those are great personalities. But for these reasons, T.O. being old knucklehead (laughs) T.O. and doing his own thing, he won't be there. Ray saying the stuff that he said that I disagree with that has made me look at him in a different light. I'm not as excited or interested to hear his speech and probably won't watch his speech. So it's pretty much watch for Randy Moss this weekend. That's I don't think I, I mean it's a great class going in. Yeah, you know yeah, you got uh, Erlacher, but those are the, in terms of I look at the personalities. You know, not necessarily 
the the players because they're all great players going in. But you look for the personalities when you get the the speeches like Shannon Sharp and, and you know some of the great speeches over the years. And these three have, in their own way, have had some three of the biggest personalities in the NFL throughout their careers. Not always a positive thing because they've all had negative things. I mean, Ray Lewis beat a murder case. You know, and Randy Moss had his his incidents, and T.O., everything is well documented with him. But just the personality, just waiting to see what might come out of them. Same reason why people watch TNT and Charles Barkley to see what's going to come out of his and Shaq's <laughs> mouth. And and it's it would be just pure entertainment just to see what is what what is T.O. going to say. And I still I'm still interested. Even though he's not going to be there, part of me is like, what what is he going to say at his thing? Because I really want to hear this speech now. He's such an egomaniac. I think he will make sure that somebody gets that out. All right. Well, finally, congratulations are in order for Caps owner Ted Leonsis. He's got, got another championship. The two and ten, Washington <laughs> Valley. Yeah, right. and, and you know what? Beating I, the Baltimore Brigade, we should say. Which, Both which, teams are owned by right. It's, Ted it's the Leonsis Bowl. He, yeah. he does not lose in that situation. And I don't want. to Let me say this before I say what I'm going to say. And Chris kind of alluded to part of what I'm going to say. I don't want to take anything away. It's sure. another championship for for the city. Even though half of us, half the people, don't even realize we have an arena league football team. <laughs> but I, on the other hand, have watched the Valor this year and last year. But <sighs> is it entertaining to go to and watch? I haven't been yet. I, I cover I, it here, but I only cover really the scores. Yeah, I, I haven't like been yet. From what I've watched. <laughs> Not um, to say that I'm not doing it. I should be, you know, they're, normally they're playing when the Nats are on yeah, or somebody I mean, else is on. Unless you've got monumental, you're not going to catch everything. Uh, NBC Sports uh, does it formally, Comcast, they'll have some on. And then uh, CBS Sports yeah, they has the like Super a game Bowl. of the week. Okay, it's a championship. Congratulations, Pat, on the back. Number one, there are four teams in this league. Number two. The Valor were two and ten yeah. going into the postseason, which a two and ten team should never be in anybody's postseason, and a two and ten team should not have opportunity to win a championship. But that's what happened. So all I'm hoping for now, because I remember there used to be a lot more than four teams in arena football. Yes, I mean the Soul have been around for a long time. They used to have one in Arizona, Tampa Bay. I don't know where all these teams have gone. The Red Dogs, New the, York, New Jersey. Yes, Red Dogs. So, uh, I remember them as Philadelphia Soul is still around, and Ron Jaworski is they're still around. Is Tampa Bay Storm? I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. It's an Albany team. So it's it's Philly, Albany. And the Leonces, the Leonces squads with the Baltimore Brigade and the uh, Washington Valor. It's great that they won, but let's expand this. I mean, four teams. Yeah, I don't think it's much it of a moneymaker. I think no, Ted it, it doesn't look great. Ted Leonces said something like, "We hope we have hopes for next year. That essentially that they hope that it still exists next they, year. Something's gotta gotta get done yeah. because when it's four teams and one guy owns half the league." And both teams that are in the championship and one that probably should never been there, if there are more teams, I mean, yeah, it's it's on the precipice of you know going under. You got to add, you can't have four teams in a league, and just and they play twelve games. Yeah, how the hell do you round robin twelve game season between four teams? 
I guess it's good for kids. You know, if you're bringing your six, seven-year-old kid there who doesn't know (laughs) any better. That's that's the highlight. That's the best part because just like you can get a, a fly ball uh, at, at the at Nets Park, you can catch a you know a foul ball, a home run. Right. You get a football. You can leave out there with like eight footballs if you're in the right spot, because they take it, they throw it in the stands. And mostly, there's not really many people in the stands. I don't know if you've seen it. Most of the action is actually right behind mm-hmm. the end zone. Mm-hmm. It's like the the, the standing room uh, at at uh, at FedEx. You know, when people got their Bud Lights out and having, and the players are literally <laughs> right next to them. Hmm. They don't have benches. These guys are on folding chairs right next to the fans. Yeah. So that's a hell of an experience. That's a reason to go. But I, I mean, I hope they, congratulations. I'm, you know, I don't, yes. mean, to, I don't mean to rain on your parade, Valor. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Arena League football has been around since I was a kid and yeah. probably way before then. I remember a time, maybe early to mid 90s, they even had an Arena Football League game for Sega on the really? Genesis. Yeah, it yeah. actually generated, because it was on ESPN all the time. See, that's the problem. Now it's on CBS and Monumental with Leontis' uh, network. And if you don't, order Monumental or don't have that as a part of your package, you're not going to see the Valor or the Brigade. And you might see one game a week on CBS. But back in those days when, say, Jay Gruden was uh, was playing, and, I mean, even Danny White, who was a legendary Cowboys quarterback, he coached the Tampa Bay team for many years. And they would win multiple championships. So I, there is some history to the Arena Football League. But I think once they left ESPN, I think things just kind of fell off the rails from there. And I guess Ted is trying to give that a boost. I mean, try to resurrect because it's kind of it's gone in the toilet. You went from ESPN to four teams and your champion was two and ten during the regular season. <laughs> That's about enough said. Yeah. So congratulations to the Valor. We hope we hope you're around next year. Yeah, we hope we <laughs> continue to build. That's what I'll say. Let's, let's hope this league continues to build. But I, I will try to get to one. I, I have I have looked online and, and, you know, seen ticket prices, but I will try to get the one just like I will try to get uh, to the Castles at some point. Maybe the Castles can win another championship this summer. <laughs> you know, maybe the Nats can go on some sort of, you know, ridiculous run to close out the season and get into the postseason and make it magical. Maybe the Mystics can win a championship this summer and then open the way for a Super Bowl for the uh, Redskins. And we can all dream about that. What an excellent way to end our podcast. <laughs> for Jamal and Chris Chion and Chris Chase, I'm Dimitri. The DMV Sports Roundtable is on Apple Podcasts, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, and WTOP's mobile app. Just tap listen for Redskins fans, large and small, all around the world. God help us.